hold up. Let's use a different song for this episode. Maybe Missing Persons? Pessimistic. I want to feel better about words. The subject of the show is words. How about the Bee Gees? It's only words, and words are all I have to take your heart away. Now, this episode isn't about love. I don't want to date Barry Gibb. The episode's about language and the challenges of using it to describe mental illnesses. Maybe I need to take it to the extreme. No, I don't need to take it to the extreme. I can't get any of these words to convey my meaning. This is comical foreshadowing of the content of the rest of the episode. It's the hilarious world of depression. I'm John Moe. So, look, we have words at our disposal. Words, little mouth and air and tongue noises that are meant to convey meaning. And then you have something like depression, which is so hard to describe because it's shapeless, colorless, it has no mass, it's just this thingy. Still, words are all we have. Around the office here, we've been talking about the power of words to really improve understanding of mental health, and also the destructive potential of words to make mental illnesses more frightening and confusing, especially when those words are used incorrectly. A few days ago, we had our big live show, The Hilarious Night of Depression at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul. Big theater, sold out crowd. We laughed, we cried. It was great. And you'll get to hear more of it on our next episode. But we're going to give you a preview right now because we took on this topic of words, terminology, and everyday conversation about mental health with our guests. Well, we're going to chat a little bit here. And uh, just for our, our podcast listeners' ears, uh, identify who you are so that when they hear it, they can say, ah, I recognize that voice as being attached to that name. I'm Anna Marie Cox. I'm Paul F. Tompkins. I am Amy Mann. And I am Ted Leo. Okay, you've memorized all the ranges. (laughs) Um, The language and terms of mental health, mental illness, uh, are used in everyday life all the time, everyday talk. But it's sometimes common uh, to say things from mental illness terminology that aren't really to describe mental illness. Somebody could say, oh, I'm totally OCD about my pencils, when in fact they're just tidy and they like to have their pencils cleaned up. Um, As you've thought about mental health or explored it, uh, have you noticed uh, yourself using these words that to mean something that they really don't, or have you noticed it in others much? I mean, I, I yeah, I've, I've certainly noticed it in others a lot. I don't think that it's really crept into my vocabulary. I think we're now at a, at a place where we're, you know, we are looking at language um, in, in a different way because people have voices that they didn't have before. And, you know, uh, there's, there's a tendency, especially in my business, um, to make things about the PC police, you know, and that, oh, you can't say anything anymore. And it's, and it's not so much that you can't say anything anymore. It's that there are certain 
groups of people, segments of the population who just can't hear certain words anymore because like, hey, that's me. And, you know, I'm not just a, a punchline. I'm a feeling person. And, and this word that you're using for because, you know, it pushes a, a laugh button actually means something more to me than it does to you. Um, and because I've seen I think because I've seen other people do that, it's become, uh, I've become way more aware of it in my own speech and, and try to be careful about stuff. I still, I'm sure there's still plenty of things I say that, that, I, uh, that I shouldn't say anymore and that people would be upset by, but you know, it's, it's I'm trying. And I think that, <laughs> I think that that's kind of all people are asking, you know? It's like people are just saying, could you try not to do this? Yes. Make an effort. I think yeah. the theme of this show is we're trying. Yeah. <laughs> well, Anna, as, as somebody who's dealt with actual addiction, like, what do you, do you think when someone says, oh, I'm so addicted to that show, does it be like, the no, because your life hasn't been like, destroyed? I guess the word addiction used that way doesn't bother me. Yeah. Um, the phrase that bothers me is uh, off someone's meds, like to say, oh, must be off their meds today. You know, we've, as a culture, we've come to recognize that to speculate about whether or not a, a woman is menstruating is not polite and also belittles her. So kind of like that. It's like you're, you're blaming the chemicals. You're trying to like figure out how someone's be behaving by the, what you suspect are the chemicals going on in their body. And that's disrespectful and it also kind of marginalizes people who use meds which hello like I would not be here you know if I if it without yes <laughs> team Lamictal. <laughs> well I yeah I find myself freely using crazy nuts and bonkers quite often but I don't think bonkers is an actual medical diagnosis <laughs> So I kind of give myself a pass that I'm not sure is warranted. As, as official crazy people, I mean, I'm a crazy person. So um, I would say bonkers is fine. I have a particular pet peeve, and I, I don't want to offend anybody. Um, that's a terrible thing to always say, by the way. That's like you're, that you're usually going to get in trouble. But when people use the terms um, crazy and insane to describe this political moment that we're in, mm. it bothers me. Got a better me. term? Bonkers. Bonkers. If you are ever going to use the word bonkers, yeah. now is the time. It'll be in history books. As crazy people, we give you the permission. Yeah. <laughs> Ted and Amy, how about you? How do you encounter these sorts of words? Like even like the specific words like psychotic, schizophrenic, PTSD, OCD, that kind of thing. I mean, I think I know, I think a lot of my friends are, know, you know, know what those words mean and use them to, uh, pretty correctly, you know, that the uh, OCD do, is the most, that's the most egregious, you know, usage. Uh, it, it personally, I have like a slight problem with people saying that somebody's a psychopath because I feel like I know a couple of actual psychopaths and it's like not that fun. <laughs> Um, you know, but yeah, I do feel like I'm a fellow crazy person, so I don't mind using the term crazy or having uh, other people use it. I don't know. Like, people are definitely more uh, educated about mental illness than they used to be. Do you think people, like, when they, when they hear a word like schizophrenic used to describe some, 
somebody who isn't, who clearly isn't schizophrenic, do you think people make that distinction in their mind? Like, are people t- automatically translating it and saying, oh, I see what they're saying. It doesn't mean that they're right. No, that's just, like, such a dumb, dumb thing to say, like, oh, I'm so schizophrenic, I can't make up my mind. Like, oh, that's really, like, I don't know, that seems like something that you'd see in, you know, 1952's edition of Jokes for the John or something. Like, it just seems like, <laughs> it seems like very archaic of a usage. And a highly specific reference, too. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I have stayed in Amy's guest room before. <laughs> One of, one of many. <laughs> Ted, what about you? Have you run across this issue? Um, I, I think I'm in a similar place with, with Amy where, um, you know, call it the bubble that I've created for myself at this point, but maybe it's just the, um, you know, the older I get, the, the um, you know, more relationships that I have wind up with people who, who um, actually understand the, the power of language and, um, and uh, try to try to be empathetic to um, uh, its use in the world and also a lot of people who actually have a lot of these problems and um, so it, it rarely they rarely get flung around in a pejorative or you know um, pointlessly used way I think and I'm I guess I'm lucky to say um, in my circles and you know I was gonna say before you followed up your your psychopath comment that like that's something that we would say every now and then, but we would actually mean it about the person that we were talking about. <laughs> um, you are in the music industry. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then I think in my own, in my own life, in my own, um, my own uh, grasp of these terms, um, the work that I've done in, in, in programs and just among, among friends and actually learning what, what they mean has helped me to define certain things and certain processes that I'm going through for myself. And so I use them more in conversation with people, but I actually feel like I have a better grasp on what I'm talking about when I, when I do it now. Have you run into an issue where you've tried to describe, any of you, what you've, you've tried to describe what is going on with your mental health and have people say, oh, depressed, yes, I got depressed when my team lost uh, in that big game, you know, d- where people just don't understand because these words have been so co-opted? Well, I don't, you know, there's definitely people who don't, I don't know. I mean, I sort of recall in the past maybe encountering somebody. Dum-dums, right? Well, you know, the, well, they'll say like, you know what you ought to do. Or like, you know what your problem is. You just have to, you know. But I really do think now people are much more educated and, uh, you know, so it's, I mean, I grew up in a time where my, my father's hilarious joke was anybody who wants to see a psychiatrist should have his head examined. It's a classic. <laughs> it's not, it's sort of true. Yeah. Because <laughs> they should have access to health care, is what yeah. he was saying. Yeah. He was ahead of his time, that man. What a progressive. What a progressive. I. I- but having said that, he actually did see his, like, like, he sent me to a psychiatrist when I was six years old, which actually I think is just more of a, a measure of what a fucked up child I must have been. Because 1966, you did not send a child to a psychiatrist. Um, I was going to say, I guess sort of related to that, so as someone with bipolar disorder, I feel like everyone who's seen Homeland thinks they understand <laughs> bipolar disorder. <laughs> Or everyone who's seen the Kanye, like, Trump meeting thinks they understand (laughs) bipolar disorder. And um, I have, like, a few, like, you know, 
FAQ answers, um, which, you know, so I, being bipolar doesn't make you a genius. Like, I wish it did. Um, and it also doesn't make you a bigot. Um, and it doesn't make you have, like, hateful opinions or anything. It just makes you a person with bipolar disorder. So, yeah. That's Anna Marie Cox, Ted Leo, Amy Mann, and Paul F. Tompkins during our live show, The Hilarious Night of Depression, recorded October 13th at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul. You'll hear more of that show on our next episode. Our producer, Chrissy Pease, went into our show archive looking for cases where understanding depression or other mental illnesses really came down to terminology and having the right words to match the experience. She found lots of material. Okay, uh, Richard A. Cavett, uh, known as Dick Cavett. Dick Cavett is the oldest guest we've had on our show. He's 81, and he remembers other terms for depression and how they didn't always hit the mark. Actually, there was a phrase like student letdown or something. Uh, apparently, it's common among freshmen in college. Nobody, I don't think, knew then or knows now exactly why. And I don't think I, I heard the word depression used applied to it at all at that point. Just uh, you've got the freshman blues or luckily it didn't go deeper I am Janelle James. Comedian Janelle James was familiar with some mental health terminology, but at one point she hadn't made the connection to her actual life. So now I can say it, and this is like why the black uh, people's aversion to depression is so fucked up, because I definitely had postpartum depression. After your first kid? After my first kid. And I was like, nope. <laughs> What do you, you mean? No, nope. like I had read about it before, like while I was, you know, you read your pregnancy books and you say and they say this thing might happen. I was like, not to me. You know what I mean? So when it happened, I was like, this isn't what it is. You know, so you so, just denied it. Yeah, I just denied it. And how did that um, work out for you? Well, I started getting like all this random like physical pain. So I was going to all these doctors. They were like, you have lupus, maybe it might be like a, a autoimmune thing, like so many like uh, theories. And then this one guy, I think he was a neurologist. We were talking and he was like doing all these, re, you know, the reflex, your knees, how did this feel? And he had this, uh, it looked like a feather attached to a pen and he was rubbing on my palm and he's like, do you feel that? Do you feel that? And he was like, you know, you just had a kid. And I was like, you know, like a year ago, he's just talking as he's doing it. And he says, uh, and you've been having this pain since when? I'm like, you know, like it started like six months after, you know, ago. And he's like, uh, anybody ever asked maybe, you know, do you think maybe you're like, maybe you're depressed? And I just started bawling. <laughs> wow. Why? Because I was like, that's what the that's what it is. And I think I knew I just didn't want that to be. I don't know, because I felt like that was weak. That's not who I am. You know what I mean? So. Uh, were you bawling because that was devastating to hear or were you bawling because you were understood? Like relief. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, oh, yes. That's it. Can if you say it, can I say it now? You know what I mean? That, right. that I have a diagnosis or something like it's official type. I don't know. It was just so many. And all that pain like went away. Like once I knew what it was, 
I'm Jeff Tweedy from the rock band Wilco. Jeff has struggled with depression, addiction, some other problems as well. For him, getting better meant having a diagnosis with words that were sufficient to describe what he was going through. My panic disorder worked in my favor in this regard. I realized that there was something terrible happening, and I started panicking every time, every time I put a pill in my mouth. I, I would panic that I'm going to die, and I'd try and make myself vomit. You know, like it was, it was almost became impossible to take meds of any kind, and including antidepressants and, and, and things that might have been helping me to some degree. So I was able to do that. I was able to stop taking pills. And about five weeks after that, my brain chemistry uh, had crashed severely to the point where I was panicking 24 hours a day, just like walking around the park. I had lost 35 pounds. And this guy that was I was seeing uh, to uh, supposedly help me, he was like therapist, he made this suggestion that he was, was going to have to go on the road with me since I was in this condition. And I had a moment of, you're just a fucking total asshole. You're just like, you're sickening. You know, it's just like this clear, clear vision of who this guy was. And I couldn't drive because I was panicking too much. And he, I, I made him take me home and he sped off <laughs> after I got out of the car <laughs> And then my, then my wife took me to the emergency room, and um, <clears throat> I did this two days in a row. Or like, they didn't really, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't admit me. And then the second day I went there, they, um, they told me about a place in Chicago that has dual diagnosis um, treatment, which is they treat your mental health issues along with your addiction issues. And... And my reaction to that was, why has no one told me about this until just now? This is obviously, this makes so much sense. That's obviously what's been going on for fucking ever. And yes, please take me to there now. My name is Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton is an actor. He was on Star Trek. He was in the movie Stand By Me. He's also a writer, and he's come up with a kind of expanded set of words to describe his experience with depression. You know, one of the ways that I that I described that I have described it is like for me, living with mental illness was like living in a really large, dark room with no windows or doors. And it was so unbelievably loud that I just kind of learned to exist in that loud darkness. And once my wife said, I really think that you should get some help for what's going on with you because it just doesn't seem like it just doesn't seem normal. Um, and I saw a psychiatrist and I started taking medication and I'd seen therapists for years and that worked to a point, but I have a chemical imbalance in my brain. So seeing like seeing a, a psychiatrist who could prescribe medication for me, um, it opened up a door that I didn't know was there and I could suddenly see this light that I could walk toward. And I went through that door and I didn't realize that there was this world outside of that dark, loud room until all that I had left was that, like after you leave a really loud concert and all you have left is the ringing in your ears, 
it was like that was all that was left. And once that awful noise was taken away, I became aware of how much of my life was spent just trying to exist. My name is Reggie Osei, also known as Combat Jack. Reggie Osei was an attorney, podcast host, hip-hop celebrity. He was on our show in 2017. He died of cancer later that year. Reggie's experience with depression and terminology was heavily informed by being a black man in America and in hip-hop culture. He hosted a show called Mogul, which was a documentary about rap impresario Chris Lighty, who dealt with depression and died by suicide. I guess because uh, the topic of... Uh of depression was, you know, a main part of the storyline of Mogul. Um, and it really impacted a lot of people who listened to Mogul. Um, and I guess it really unpacked or really introduced a lot of people that, you know, there's a lot of depression in, in, in the black community that we've been trained or conditioned to ignore or to move past. Um, and I, I don't think when you think about issues affecting the black community, you don't think about depression. Conditioned to move past in yourself or in the community? I think primarily in yourself and as a greater part, a greater part of yourself as a community. Um, I've heard stories, you know, on, on my show, the Combat Jack show, the podcast, um, I've always been a proponent for mental health. Um, and I get, you know, I get these stories from, from, from some of the listeners that are just amazing. Um, and one story in particular that stands out is this young man reached out to me and said, you know, we, we had a therapist on one of the episodes of my show because I had a crew on the show and we were not getting along. There was a lot of dysfunction in the show. So we had a therapy episode and uh, a young man reached out to me. I think he was in his early twenties and I think he was from the West coast and he really thanked me for doing that show. And he shared with me a story that affected his life. Um, and uh, he got shot, I think when he was 16 or 17 years old um, and he survived. And after such, after uh, surviving such a, a tr tr such a traumatic experience, he was really afraid to go outside. And his neighborhood teased him. They teased him like, dude, won't you fucking man up? Like, won't you come out? Like, won't you, oh, you're not a tough guy. You're not a man anymore. And, you know, he had to live through that until he heard, you know, us addressing that this is an issue in the neighborhood, in our communities. Think about that. Like, think about him not being able to feel, not even being aware it's not even being able, not even being, be, not even being aware that his physical trauma impacted him mentally. Did he think of it as just, I'm so scared after this, or did he see it as there's a condition here, there's a mental illness? I think after, I think the more he learned from our show, from whatever else that he researched, he realized that he did have an issue or condition. But prior to that, I think he struggled with, like most of us struggle in our communities, what's wrong with me? Hi, this is Rachel Bloom. Rachel Bloom is the co-creator and star of the TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and she deals with depression, anxiety, looping thoughts. Her path to understanding what's going on isn't so much about precise medical terms as it is about helpful imagery. And now when, my, when dark compulsive thoughts happen, it's different, but it takes that same feeling of there's a lion in the bushes and I need to deal with the lion by indulging in the thought. And the hardest thing for me that I'm still working on is no, it's a, it's false. Don't engage in the thought. Um, I had a voice teacher who talked about anxiety, who he's from North Carolina and he was like, you know, like 
if a bird flies into your barn, it's okay. Just notice the bird, but you don't have to make a nest for it. Just the bird flies in, the bird will eventually fly out. Don't worry about it. And that's such a good way to think about looping or anxious thoughts. And part of me, and I, I go back to like real or not real, part of my experience has been learning to isolate what are the thoughts actually worth indulging in and what are the thoughts that aren't real, that are counter to me being happy and counter to me being my best self. And it's something I still do with every day. I mean, there are plenty of words in the English language, dozens probably, and it strikes me that finding a path to the right words to understand your condition, to describe it to others, to narrow it down a bit, it's a lot like finding your individual course of treatment, right? We've talked about this on the show. There's no one treatment that works for everybody. You need to find your own plan, whether that's a certain type of medication, a certain type of talk therapy, diet, exercise, whatever. And there's going to be trial and error. And I think it's the same with words. Speaking of error, we're going to hear about some words and some contexts of words that you might want to avoid. And that's whether you're talking about your own mental illness or even more so someone else's. That's in just a moment. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by Health Partners and by MakeItOK.org. Make It OK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma surrounding mental illnesses. Not just depression, but all kinds of mental illnesses. We enjoy having a lot of laughs on this show. It's a way of dealing with depression, maybe demystifying depression a bit, making it not so scary. But let's not kid ourselves, it's a serious illness. The good news is that people can and do recover. They get help. That's why we need to make it okay to talk openly. Now, that can be an awkward conversation, but makeitokay.org is full of information you can use, like what to say, what not to say, and stories from people who tell you what it's like to live with depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Go to makeitokay.org where you can take the pledge to make it okay. Thanks so much to Health Partners and to Make It Okay for joining us in fighting stigma so we can all get better. Thank you once again to all of our sponsors. And you know, dear listeners, a lot of times with the sponsors, you hear me give a promotional code to use at checkout. Use the promo code hilarious for big savings, that kind of thing. And I, I want to point out that when you use those codes, you get great deals and discounts. And also it really helps us because then the sponsors see that people are listening to Hilarious World and they are a great audience. They buy things, they sign up for things. Then those sponsors want to keep sponsoring the show and that keeps the show strong and keeps it going. So remember, use those codes, shop at those places. It's like voting for this program. It's important. Thanks. So we've talked about this verbal journey around the idea of depression, the vocabulary challenge of finding the right road, as it were. Now let's talk about the other roads, the roads to avoid, the ones with potholes, the ones that lead to bad places, the off-ramps to oblivion. Emily Bultice is a licensed psychotherapist in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. She works with Health Partners, which is the founding sponsor of our show. 
That's not why we reached out to her, though. We reached out because she's written a lot about the terminology of mental health, specifically the most helpful ways to have conversations about it. We went to visit Emily at her clinic in the area marked by a door sign that reads behavioral health. So we've been talking a lot about different terms that are being used, and um, I find myself bristling when people use a, a mental health term incorrectly, but I'm also finding myself saying, oh, this Whole Foods prices are crazy. This is nuts over here. And I know I'm, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Um, what are some of the most commonly misused words in terms of people co-opting words from mental health? Mm -hmm. I think the, the that's crazy or that's nuts. I think that's the biggest one right now. I know so many very progressive, informed thinkers that mm -hmm. misuse that. I, I do that accidentally sometimes myself. I think that's probably the biggest one. But I think um, saying that's so OCD or, or, or she's so bipolar um, is also a com those are some common ones as well. Th those terms haven't really been in the common lexicon for all that long, OCD or bipolar, but they've instantly been been co-opted. Um, why do you think people have grabbed onto those so so quickly mm, and then I, ruined them? <laughs> they have ruined them. Um, I think it may be a way of seeking to understand. That would be sort of um, best case scenario. I think it's also a way to just use slang in a way that might be perceived as cool. I don't know that it's intentional necessarily, although the consequences are significant. I know a lot of really good people who use those terms accidentally, not realizing the impact. Well, it's hyperbolic, I suppose. People people use those terms because they know they mean very powerful things. And sometimes, frankly, inaccurate. I yeah. mean, they don't know what it means to have a bipolar disorder, right? And so, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it gets pretty skewed. So what's the harm? Why are, Why should people care about using these things incorrectly? If you're saying you're OCD because you like your desk straightened, you know, who does that really hurt? Right. I think it's twofold. I think... First of all, one major concern I have about any mental health label is when people begin to identify as their illness. That's a dark place to go. Um, and we don't do that with any other health issue, right? So no one says, oh, um, she's cancer. Um, we don't do that to people. Um, but for some reason, we do that with with mental health issues. So I, I think... Like what? Um, he's schizophrenic. Um, she's bipolar again would be another example. Um, or even just saying he's, he's a really depressed guy. It can, can reflect someone's identity depending on the context, um, that it's, that it's brought up. Um, and I don't like when people start to identify as illnesses that they may carry with them. I think that's a really dangerous place to go. Another reason it's a problem, the other part of this is, you know, we talk about the word stigma a lot. And certainly when we use mental health terms in that way, we're promoting stigma, um, another way of looking at that and sort of a conversation that's happening in more mental health advocacy groups right now, this is not my original thought, but is the idea that stigma is really a darling word for discrimination. So mm. when we use those words, they're discriminatory. We're discriminating against people with these illnesses and these life experiences, and that's not something we should be doing. How destructive are words that aren't really medical diagnoses like crazy, bonkers. You know, no, nobody's going to go to a doctor and the doctor is going to say, I'm sorry, you flipped your wig. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> these are kind of outlandish terms. Are those to be avoided, do you think? I think 
I think so. Um, while I don't think saying that's crazy or she's crazy, you know, in the moment, especially in, you know, a, a close social network, there may not be anything immediately hurtful about that. The point is that we're perpetuating this idea that it's okay to use mental health issues as an insult um, or as something that's casual or no big deal, when in reality, you know, to be called crazy is never really a nice thing. Yeah. And there were people that were labeled at cra as crazy, um, you know, not necessarily in our current world, but certainly, you know, if we look prior to deinstitutionalization, pre, uh, de excuse me, that that ruined their lives. Um, so it's it's um, we do need to be mindful of using these words flippantly because it's it can be really destructive. You've written about this issue in particular about words to avoid and words to substitute for them. And and a lot of the ones you wrote about are pretty understandable. I think some people would be surprised by this one. Don't don't use the term normal behavior. Um and you have other options, usual behavior or typical behavior. Explain the difference, if you could. Sure. Um, normal implies a judgment, something that you should be. Um, typical is a range, right? So if we think of like a typical two-year-old, they look from this end of the spectrum to this end of the spectrum. That's a little bit more tolerable. It's easier to fit. If we just say this is what normal is, it's more definitive. Um, and again, there's the judgment with the term normal about what you should be versus what you should not be. And then this one, don't use afflicted by mental illness or suffers from mental illness or is a victim of mental illness. Instead, use living with a mental illness. Is is it patronizing to use those earlier terms of suffers from or afflicted by? I think it could be. But, but more than anything, there's a lot of really healthy, happy, amazing people living with a mental illness. So if we assume they're all suffering, we're really not doing justice to the wonderful lives they're living and how much they're doing for our world. Mm. And th this one uh, is very subtle, but I think it's very important. Don't use the term mental illness as an aggregate term. Use mental illnesses or a mental illness. Describe the difference there. Yeah. I mean, if you've met one person who's living with schizophrenia, you've met one person who's living with schizophrenia, right? Um, mental illnesses look a variety of different ways. And if we sort of identify it as like, this is this is one thing, it looks like this all the time, we're forgetting the diversity of experiences. Now, a term that, that I really get bothered by that has nothing to do with mental illnesses is when people say, oh, you just want to be politically correct because so often it's used as a, as a pejorative to mean you're trying to be nice to people. Mm. Um, but I think some people will, will hear this uh, idea of you're using the wrong terms or you're, you're, you shouldn't be using that term to, to talk about something that it is not related to. And, and they'll say, oh, my gosh, this person's saying I'm a bigot. This person's saying I'm horrible, you know, and all this. What is the benefit um, beyond politeness for people to be more accurate and more precise in the language that they choose? Um, inclusion, um, diversity in life experiences. Um, and allowing people to define themselves. Um, I think, you know, on the flip side of that, I, th I think we can assume good intent if we're encountering this in our friend group or among colleagues, right? And, and we're having a conversation or maybe offering a correction to some of these terms. Um, but but it, the stakes are high. And again, at the end of the day, we're not just talking about stigma. We're talking about discrimination of people who are living with an illness, um, a medical illness. And we would never do that for any other condition. So um, using these terms really supports that as a pattern. 
part of what the Make It Okay site does so well is like, here are ways to have an awkward conversation. <laughs> uh, can you think of ways to address it if your mom or your coworker or your friend uses some of these terms and they're way off? Mm -hmm. uh, can you think of a way to help with that that is uh, that could be corrective? Absolutely. I think an easy way to do this is through the use of transparency. To just, so to say something to the effect of, um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine recently or I was listening to a podcast recently and I realized I have been saying these things and I didn't even realize what they meant. And I don't know if you know that sometimes people can interpret that as you know, discriminatory or um, uh, inflammatory, what have you. So I think using transparency and just being earnest, um, I think it's also okay to say, gosh, I just noticed myself having a really strong reaction when you said that, and I want to tell you why. Um, instead, here's what would be more helpful. Giving people a solution is really important. Don't just tell people they're wrong. Help them figure out what to do differently. Is there the potential for for real damage by using inaccurate terms? Like if somebody has actual obsessive compulsive disorder and other people are using OCD to describe their tidiness, does that does that hurt the person with the disorder? I think it certainly could. I think it can also, you know, I know people who are living with obsessive compulsive disorder who are deeply, deeply impaired by that condition. I think it could be sort of flippant about how hard that condition is for them to manage. I think also I, ha I know a lot of very highly functioning, um, happy uh, people who are living with obsessive compulsive disorder and they may feel um, characterized unfairly um, if that term's used that way. I think the bigger danger is that it prevents people from getting help, right? So if people don't want to be associated with a term or a label, then it's going to seem like a much bigger challenge to call a clinic and say, hey, I'd love to talk to a mental health professional about some things I've been experiencing. So I would say the bigger danger is that it creates barriers to accessing care because we know care works. Um, and if we can't get people through the door because they're afraid of being labeled, then we have an even bigger problem. Is some of this just based in the fact that mental health is behavioral by nature in a, in a lot of instances? Like nobody says, oh, I have just such gastroenteritis about this. They don't <laughs> use this for like physical conditions. I have totally strep throat at work today. Yeah, it, it just doesn't happen. Like is this unavoidable because it is behavioral in nature? I don't know about that. And I mean, given even the term behavioral health, some people really don't like that either. Mm. Um, just to say that's a really unfair term. I think that a lot of healthcare systems use it because it's concise. It's hard to find another term that would fit nicely on a door sign, frankly. Yeah, I was only using it because it was on your door sign when I came into your <laughs> office. Right, <laughs> totally. But I think that even that, some people really are offended by the term behavioral health. It kind of makes it seem like it's more of a choice and just change your behavior mm. um, rather than this is a medical condition. And if we send you to, um, I'm trying to think of another, you know, the infectious disease clinic, like that. that's something outside of your control, but the, the behavior, that's on you. Can we just say mental health instead? We certainly could. I think, again, that goes back to like, is that is that a scary term for people? Does that keep people away? Is, yeah. you know... Um, you know, I've met people for the first time in a therapy intake where I say, if I say, does anyone else in your family live with a mental health issue? They say, oh God, am I here because I have a mental illness? Like, that's a negative thing to them. It seems like... The Part of the challenge, too, is I feel like I need to memorize all these terms of what's okay and what's not okay. And then if I'm just having a conversation with someone, I need to sort of flip through this Rolodex <laughs> in my mind. Is there 
a kind of path of thinking that can explain all this as I go forward. So when I get to one of those moments, I don't have to just refer to a bunch of terms, but I can just have a certain way of thinking about it. I think an easy way to start is to think about person-first language, Mm -hmm. which is the idea of saying, like, this is a person who has schizophrenia or a person living with anxiety versus, you know, an anxiety disorder Mm -hmm. um, or schizophrenia. um, Excuse me, someone who's schizophrenic. You know, a person with a mental illness as opposed to a mentally ill person. Like, that's a distinction. Absolutely. And I think the spirit of person-first language is to acknowledge first the humanity and then the health condition, right? So that prioritization is is appropriate. Um, I think that's a really good place for people to start. And it is hard. And that's why I said we have to assume good intent Mm -hmm. most of the time unless we have reason not to feel that's appropriate. Generally, I find that people are trying um, or simply haven't had access to information that lets them know they should handle it differently. So, and the person first idea kind of lays that foundation of this is another human being I'm talking about who has many, many different facets to them. Absolutely. And this is something that takes time. When I was in graduate school, I remember professors laying the groundwork of this as saying, in this classroom, we use person-first language because it's going to take you some time to get used to what this sounds and feels like. Um, So it does take time. I mean, it sounds like such a fine distinction when you're talking about some of these differences in language. But when you think about it deeper, it's a big shift of framing the illness itself in less terrifying terms. And thinking of it as a person makes you not think about an illness that has overtaken and replaced the person. So you're not dealing with schizophrenia itself. You're dealing with a person who happens to have schizophrenia. Absolutely. And that and that's also a cultural shift yeah. in how we look at mental health um, and, and people who are living with mental illnesses. That's, that's a major cultural shift. And language is a part of that cultural shift, but certainly more is necessary for that to, to be complete. I'm trying to think of really good words to replace crazy nuts and bonkers because like uh, anomalous doesn't really <laughs> seem to cut. Yeah. I have had an anomalous day right. at work today. Right. Absurd, you know. I'm absurd. Ridiculous. Yes. Right. Um, I think those are two easy ones. Yeah. Oh, it's atypical weather out there. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a long ways to go. Right. We, we do. We do have a ways to go. <laughs> Emily Boltice, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We have some of Emily Boltice's writing on this subject at our Facebook page. Check that out. Share your thoughts. It's a fun place to hang out, our Facebook page. So please come visit us. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced by American Public Media. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Christina Lopez is our web and social media big cheese. Kate Moose is executive producer, recording and technical direction by Johnny Vince Evans. Our theme song was written and performed by Rhett Miller. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. It's free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-273-8255. 
The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by health partners and MakeItOK.org. MakeItOK is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illnesses. MakeItOK.org has information that can help you and your loved ones. Starting a conversation on that topic, yeah, that can be awkward. But MakeItOK has tips on what to say and not to say. Stories of hope from people who've been there. You can take the pledge to Make It OK at MakeItOK.org. HilariousWorld.org is our web home. We're also on Twitter and come visit us on Facebook, like I said before. On our next episode, much more from our hilarious night of depression, including Google Review Theater, where in the true spirit of depression, people find the worst in things that everyone else agrees are terrific. Redwood National Forest. Tegan, I fell and didn't like it. I will never return to this terrible place one star. I'm John Moe. Bye now. says doc that's the problem what if i was to tell you i'm piachi this great big smile is just for show what if i was to tell you this is just grease paint would you say i'm a hopeless case say it ain't so I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know Would you say I'm a sad clown Tell me something I don't know